awesome is it that we get to do this? Um, I'm just so excited to be here. Um, as Colleen said, Nate and I um, started coming to Seven Mile Road about a, a year and a half ago, and it has so encouraged my heart um, to be a part of a church that does really value women um, knowing God, being able to read their Bibles, being able to teach. Um, and so it's an encouragement that not only our leaders feel that way, but it's an encouragement to me that you're all here this morning. I, I assume most of you weren't dragged here. Maybe there was a few, but that you got up, you wanted to be here um, to hear from God's word, and that's encouraging to my heart. Um, so thank you. And thank you, Colleen, um, for taking the time and investing in us women um, to grow in our ability to communicate God's word more clearly. Well, without further ado, we'll start. It's in the news all the time. Disease, war, earthquakes, tsunamis, crime, genocide. The news can be horrifying, painful, and even at times disheartening. We know it as 9-11, Katrina, the potential of an Ebola breakout, or the threat of the Zika virus. We know it as issues of race and rioting in the streets, school shootings like Columbine or Sandy Hook. Or we know it as the Boston bombings or the open fire of gunshots at a midnight showing of the dark night. Bad news is constantly being delivered. Hearing news like this day after day can be depressing. But worse yet is it when the bad news comes right into our own homes and into our lives. For example, maybe the bad news is that you or your husband have lost your job, or your overbearing mother-in-law is moving in with you. <laughs> maybe it's you failed to raid the funds needed to do your visionary work, or the ultrasound, ultrasound results have come back and it seems that the baby growing inside you doesn't have a brain stem, and they recommend you terminate your pregnancy. Maybe you've not been accepted into any medical schools you applied to. Or your son gets his high school girl pregnant. Or your husband, who's had a porn addiction, has turned, has turned his porn addiction into extramarital affairs. Or your cancer has come back, and it's even more aggressive than it was before. This news is hard. This past December, I received a phone call from my mom. She'd wanted to know if I'd heard the news about the daughter of a family I lived with in my mid-20s. Apparently, the daughter, a 21-year-old girl, had been arrested that week with, and was being held without bail on charges of kidnapping, breaking and entering, kidnapping, assault, and battery of a two-year-old child. The child was found on the side of the road, alone, naked, in the cold, with her head shaved, beaten. I was surprised, even though, when I lived with the family, their daughter had definitely displayed signs of a troubled teen. But my goodness, I would never imagine she was troubled enough to do such a heinous crime. The next day I woke, and I couldn't think about anything else. No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't deny the questions that started coming. I began asking God, why? Why would you allow this to happen? 
What could have possibly made someone do such a horrible thing? And I wondered, how would her parents ever survive? How would they survive knowing that the daughter they raised was capable and had not, was not only capable, but actually had committed such horrible of a crime? I had no answers. I sat there that morning crying, praying for this woman, praying for her parents, praying for this child and her parents. For without a strong faith in God, I couldn't imagine how they'd ever have any answers or how they'd ever have any hope. There is no question, no matter who you are, you will not escape this life without some kind of suffering. It's a part of the world we live in. The question is, how will we respond in the face of life's difficulties? Will we deny it, cover it up, try to pretend it didn't happen? Will we be angry? Will we be depressed? Will we allow ourselves to be broken over it? Will we have any hope to hold on to? Today, we're going to continue through Habakkuk, looking at chapter 1, verses 12 through 2-1. And in here, we will see how one faithful believer, Habakkuk, lived out his faith in God despite having received really bad news. We will see how knowing God's nature and his character enable us to cry out to him with our honest hearts and how it also allows us to expectantly wait on him to answer in his timing and in his ways. Let's bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes that we might see you, that you would open our ears that we might hear your word, and that you would open our hearts to believe your truth for us this day. Lord, give us willing and obedient hearts to follow after you and your ways. Amen. Let's look back and remember what we just heard from Shinu. Habakkuk, a faithful prophet of the Lord, had called out to God for help because his people had gone astray and injustice was abounding. And Habakkuk questions the Lord. Are you going to continue to allow Judah to keep on sinning? The Lord responds to Habakkuk, telling him he is indeed doing something about it. He would, in fact, punish Israel by invading and bringing down Judah through a wicked people, the nation of Babylon. God would not allow Israel to keep, go on, to keep on going sinning. He would not ignore Israel's unjust ways. He would, in fact, punish them by destroying and exiling them. This is horrible news for Habakkuk. A whole nation is being laid to waste. And it's not just any nation. It's his own nation. It's his own family, his own friends. How do you think Habakkuk would have responded to such news? Well, after having received the news of his people's destruction, the first thing the Bible tells us that Habakkuk did was cry out to God. While struggling to make sense of what he heard God say he was going to do, he does not give up on God. He does not try to run away from the impending doom. No, instead he calls out to God. Why does he do this? He does it because he believes his God is good. 
and that his God will indeed keep his promises he has made to his people. Here, Habakkuk starts off by declaring who he knows his God to be. This gives us a beautiful picture of the God who cannot only handle our deep and at times dark questions, but of a God who invites us into dialogue with him and longs to be in relationship with us. Let's take a closer look at who Habakkuk knows his God to be. We'll be starting in verse, we'll be looking at verses 12 through 13. As Habakkuk cries out to God, he makes six declarations about his nature and his purposes. And it is these things that allow him to endure before God honestly, allowing him, honestly asking and accusing God of certain things and allow him to wait for God to answer him in his timing. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. He is everlasting, the text tells us. Habakkuk knew that in the beginning, as the Bible tells us in the opening pages, God was the one who created the heavens and the earth. He knew that before time, God was. He was eternal. He had no beginning. He had no end. And since the beginning, it was God who had been active, creating the heavens and the earth out of nothing. And he'd had a plan since the beginning, the Bible tells us. Habakkuk knew that there was no other God like ours. He knew that he was not only from the beginning, that, but that since the beginning, God was active with his plan for us to dwell with God. The text tells us Habakkuk also knew that God was personal. So he's everlasting and he's personal. Oh Lord, my God, my Holy One, he cries. Here, Habakkuk chooses the word Yahweh to call on the Lord. Yahweh here is the translation for Lord. Yahweh was the special name God gave for his people to call on him. He gave them this name so that they would remember that it was he who had established his covenant with them, and it was he who would save them from their oppressors and give them a land. The name Yahweh would have conjured up for the Israelites the many ways in which God had been redeeming and saving his people since the beginning. Not only does the, the use of the name Yahweh show that God is personal, but it shows us that he's actively involved. And as if the name Yahweh wasn't enough to remind us that it's personal, that God is personally involved with Habakkuk, Habakkuk uses the word my twice here to further emphasize that God's personal relationship with us was not just with the people of Israel, but specifically with him, Habakkuk. The text goes on to tell us God is holy. Habakkuk claims my holy one and you who are pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, verse 13 tells us. Because God in his character is holy, Habakkuk knows that God must in all his ways be right and just. Because Habakkuk's God, because Habakkuk's God is holy, he knows no sin can dwell in his presence and that God will always do what is right. And because of this, he knows God cannot go back on his promises, but that he will faithfully fulfill them. Habakkuk goes on to say, we shall not die. What is this in reference to? This 
is a reference to the promise God made to his people to bless all the peoples of the earth through Israel. As such, Habakkuk knows God could not destroy all of Judah. For how could God bless all the peoples of the earth through them if he completely destroyed them? Habakkuk knows God will be faithful to keep his promise. Habakkuk continues to describe God's nature in verse 13 with the idea of God's sovereignty. This is that God is the one who is in control. It is he that orchestrates all of history. You have ordained them as judgment. You have established them for reproof. And in verse 14, you make mankind like the fish of the sea. Habakkuk knows and believes that it is God who is not only allowing this to happen, but that it is in fact God's plan and will. God is the one who is ordering the events of Habakkuk's life. How sobering a thought. It's important for us to note here that God ordains and establishes judgment on his people based on two facts. One, the people had sinned, and God's justice could not let their sins go unpunished. But also, two, he punished them for reproof. That is, that his people might be corrected, that they might repent, that they might actually turn back to God and live rightly with him. Finally, we see that Habakkuk knows his God is a strong and a sturdy foundation. Habakkuk calls out to his God, O rock, in verse 12. Rocks aren't easily moved. Well, at least not stones, right? The big rocks, mountains, rocks. Rocks aren't easily moved. They're not easily changed. They make strong and sturdy foundations. With a strong foundation, a house is able to withstand the storms of life. As Habakkuk turns to his God, because he knows God will ult God's ways will ultimately not differ from who he is, no matter what happens. It is this solid rock that Habakkuk clings to in the hope that his people will not ultimately be destroyed. As we can see, Habakkuk knew God. He knew that he created man to dwell with him in the garden when it was good and ordered and there was no evil. The one who, despite being rejected by man, chose to make a covenant with him, a covenant to redeem us back to right relationship with him. And because Habakkuk believed his God to be eternal, personal, faithful, holy, sovereign, and a strong and sturdy foundation, he knew he could cry out to him. Here in chapter 1, we see Habakkuk making these specific claims about God's character and, the nature, and his nature that the whole Bible attests to and affirms. Because Habakkuk knew God's character, his activity, his heart, his redemptive plan, it enabled him to call out to him with hope because he knew that his God is the one who has the power to redeem, restore, and save. It is precisely this that enabled Habakkuk to cry out and seek him. Instead of running away or trying to solve Judah's impending destruction, which I'm pretty sure he couldn't, he stops and he calls out to God. Just like Habakkuk cried to God, out to God, we too can call out to God because we know him. He is our loving father who sovereignly redeems his people through his own means and in his own timing. Ultimately, we see this in the gospel. The judgment that was owed to us was put fully on God's sinless son, Jesus Christ. The consequences for our sin were placed on him. 
but we were made right in Christ, but we are made right in Christ by believing in Jesus' work on our behalf. We don't have to pay the penalty of our, for our sins because we were forgiven through Jesus' death on the cross and justified through his resurrection from the tomb. And because of this, we can trust his purposes and his timing because he has proven himself to be righteous and he has been proven himself to faithfully redeem us. Because he is eternal, we know his ways are greater than ours. Because he's personal, we know we can, we can cry out to a God who longs to be in relationship with us. Because he is holy in his character, we know that we can implicitly trust his purposes and his ultimate desires for our good. Because he is our rock, we can trust him and rest in him despite whatever storms of life come our way. For ultimately, the Lord is our stronghold. We can cry out to him because we know he will hear and we know he will respond in his timing with his good purposes. When times get hard, it's important to remember and recall who God is, what he's promised, and how he's been faithful to his people in the past, so too he will be faithful to us. If we know these things to be true of God, then we too can come before God with honest hearts like Habakkuk. Habakkuk's lament in chapter 1, verses 13 through 17 include deep, heart-wrenching questions and even accusations about how God is going to work. Let's continue to look at Habakkuk's lament and see what kinds of ways in which we too can speak to God. While Habakkuk had a great understanding of who his God was, he did not understand how God was working. Remember, God had just told him he was going to punish for reproof the wayward Israel through a wicked nation. Habakkuk's, questions, Habakkuk's first question repeats a similar question Shainu brought up earlier in chapter 1, verse 3, where Habakkuk questions why God is not doing anything about Judah's sin. Now here, God is asking him if he will do nothing about the sin and the evil ways of the Babylonians. Why do you idly look at traitors? and remain silent. He goes on to question, how can you ordain them, a wicked people, to punish those less wicked than themselves? Now, yes, it is true. The Babylonians were indeed wicked. But who is to judge that they were more evil than the apostate people of God? There is no one that is righteous, the Bible tells us. Romans 5.23 says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. The truth was that Israel had fallen away from their God, and only the righteous one could judge justly. He could not allow their sins to go unpunished. Nor would he allow the Babylonians to go unpunished, as we'll see in chapter 2 of Habakkuk. For God is holy. And if God chose to see fit to punish Israel for reproof by ordaining the Babylonians to destroy them, then we can be assured that it was just. For God's ways are always just. So here Habakkuk's dialogue with God is shown in questions that ask if God will be true to his character. He then goes on to accuse God of allowing mankind to have no ruler. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler, the text says. But we know, because the Bible tells us, that God never intended for man to have no ruler. God intended to be our king in a world filled with order. 
but it was man's choice to be his own ruler that created this chaos. And it is true that God allows this that we might come to know him as a good father who loves his children and is willing and able to redeem them. Habakkuk's accusation here comes from a limited understanding of how God was working in the world. I love that this is in the Bible. For even though sometimes I don't understand how God's working fully, and though sometimes I wrongly accuse God of his work in my life, God doesn't cast us away. He allows us to come with him, to him with our feeble accusations. And he still invites us to come into his presence. Furthermore, Habakkuk's honest response draws a visual picture of how cruel the practices of the Babylonians were. He makes note of how prisoners were actually hooked in their noses and were being taken captive and dragged away like helpless fish caught in a net. And in their wicked ways, Habakkuk states that he can't, Habakkuk states that the Babylonians prosper, for he lives in luxury and his food is rich, verse 16 states. Habakkuk can't rectify the fact that bad things are happening to righteous people, while the evil people even savor the fruits of their own wickedness. Here Habakkuk accuses God of allowing such evil to be. Finally, we see his genuine dialogue with God, questioning God, how long would he allow this wickedness to continue? Here, Habakkuk's how long question is stated as, is he, the Babylonians, then to keep mercilessly emptying his net forever? This question teaches us that we can come to, the Bible of the, with the, come to God with the question of how long will our suffering go on? The Bible tells us that one day there will be no more pain or suffering. This is one of the greatest hopes we have as Christians. One day, all the effects of sin will be done away with. The Bible tells us that there will be a new heaven, a new earth, and that Jesus will come again to take us home to dwell with God. Just as Jesus came to take away our judgment on the cross for our sins, he will come again to take us home to be with God. There, in the new heavens and in the new earth, death will be no more. There will be no more mourning, no more crying, no more disease, no more pain. This is the inheritance for all who put their hope in Jesus' death and resurrection to save and restore them. Did you hear that? Not only could you not be judged for all your sins, because Jesus' blood and righteousness can cover you, but one day you'll be restored to a right relationship with God and dwell with him in the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no more death, no more war, no disease, no natural disasters, no genocide, no crime, and no pain. One day there will be an end. The Bible tells us of our sin and our suffering, that because of our sin and suffering, we will mingle here on this earth with it until Jesus comes again or until we pass away, but not for the rest of eternity. And while we live amidst the pain of this life, God has sent his spirit to comfort and strengthen us through any trial we face here. The truth is hard to hear, isn't it? God does ordain and allow hard things to happen to accomplish his good work of redemption for his glory and our good. This is difficult for us to understand. 
As I said earlier, God never intended for evil to rule or chaos to abound, but it does. And it is, is, it is this that Habakkuk struggles with, and it is with this that he speaks openly with God. So too his struggle is ours. But as we struggle, God invites us into conversation with him. And when we come before God, trusting in his character, and when we are honest with him about our questions, when we, we can allow him to do a work in our heart to help us to understand him, to help us to trust him when we don't. Coming to God in humility, knowing that we deserve death for our sin, yet God in his mercy chose to have his perfect son die in our place, enables us to trust his ultimate good purposes. As we come pouring our, our hearts in honest humility, God will see the outpouring of our heart's desire to truly know him more. What questions do you have? Don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to say why. How long? Don't be afraid to tell God you're disgusted at the evil all around you. Come to God with your tough questions, your accusations. Come to trust and to know him more fully. Unfortunately, just because we seek God and are honest with him, it doesn't mean that he'll answer right away, whether to answer with our specific requests. But sometimes he does answer. Here, now, sometimes he does heal. Sometimes he does restore and redeem things. And it is right and appropriate for us, for us to ask God to do so. Just as Habakkuk implored God to action on behalf of his people so that God's people will not become extinct, we too should ask God to work in ways that would bring him honor and glory. But when things don't go the way we'd hope them to, what do we do? How is it that we then endure? How is it that we persevere in pain in this world? Well, here in Habakkuk 2, we're reminded that we endure not only by constantly seeking God, but by waiting on him. Remember, because we know God's character and his ultimate purposes for our good, we can endure our suffering clinging on to him. In Habakkuk 2.1, it says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower, and I will look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Here, Habakkuk uses the image of a watchman at a lookout tower. The importance of the picture shouldn't pass us by lightly. The job of a watchman was to be constant. He could not slumber, he could not sleep, he couldn't goof off, or the enemy might come up, sneak up, take him off guard, attack. Habakkuk likens his waiting to that of a diligent watchman. He knew his job was to wait for God's answer. And he knew God would answer. He would wait actively, expectantly for God to answer. Like the watchman, Habakkuk's lament and his waiting would be constant. It wouldn't be a one-time questioning, but a continual pleading to the Father on the behalf of God's people as he eagerly and awaited God to answer. In the end... Faith requires that we continually and expectantly call to God and wait to see how he will answer. Will you constantly stay alert? Will you tell others that when times are hard, we can trust in God's perfect ways, in his perfect timing? 
What will our waiting look like? Will we give up on God? Will we depend on ourselves? Will we run away or hide? Or will we confidently wait, seek out the God who answers? It's been over two months since the daughter of the family I lived with in her mid-twenties was originally arraigned. Since then, she has been in a mental institution, essentially, um, under psychological evaluation to decide whether or not she's fit to stand trial. If found unfit, she will most likely be institutionalized for the rest of her days. If found fit to stand trial, she'll go to prison for a really long time. Her parents made a public statement. They said, we, would continue, we will continue to care for our daughter, whom we love very much. She's a real person, remember, right? Um, recently, I was able to briefly communicate with the mom. Thankfully, she's still seeking her savior. She's still crying out to him and trusting him on this new and unwelcome road. I was reminded the other day by a friend that this lady's story isn't over. In my own mind, I'd been seeing her life as such. I mean, she'd spend the rest of her days in jail or in an institution. She's a bright 21, beautiful woman. Uh, and rightly so, I mean, she committed a heinous crime. Um, but all that to say, I thought her life was over. In my mind, in my limited way of thinking, I just thought, it's done, like, that's over. But I was corrected because I do know that we have a good father and that he longs to redeem all of his children to himself. He longs to redeem her and for one day to have her be in heaven with him. Even if she goes to jail, God could protect her there from the evil and the harm that dwells there. God could still give her life meaning there. He could still redeem her. Despite whether she spends the rest of her days here on earth or in jail or in an institution, God can give both this young woman and her parents strength, hope, and peace as they cling tightly to a God who they know is mighty to save. As I wait to see what happens in the days ahead, I will continue to cry out to a God who can do... To, I will continue to cry out to a God who redeems. I will continue to bring my painful questions and even accusations before my God who can handle and even invites my dialogue with him. And lastly, I can wait in hope knowing he will answer according to his good character. As we close, I pray we would see Habakkuk's genuine faith in God represented in his recognition of God's character his honesty and ability to lament the difficult situation that God's people had put themselves in, and his faithful expectation of God's answer. We can take his example as an encouragement in whatever difficult situations that we find ourselves in, because we know God, that we can cry out to him. We can cry out to him for mercy, and because we know God, we can be honest with him. And because we know him, we can wait and rest in his timing and in his response. Oh, that our faith would be found to be as honest and real like this. As I was preparing for this message, I came across this hymn one day. It's a hymn I've known for a long time. 
but somehow it seems more meaningful to me now, maybe because I've seen more suffering in this life than that of a teenager. Um, and after having sat and struggled with this piece of good but hard word for us in Habakkuk. The hymn is called, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. And it's written by Edward Mote. Um, I'd like to close us in prayer with it. So please listen to these words. Close your eyes and bow your heads with me. Lord, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils his lovely face, God, I pray, will rest on your unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, our anchor holds within the veil. His oath his covenant, his blood, supports us in the whelming flood. When all around our soul gives way, I pray he then is our hope and stay. When he comes with trumpet sound, oh, may we then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before his throne. Praise God. Amen.